This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. We have two lengthy shows tonight, so I have no time to chat. Let's get right to the action with an episode of Nightbeat starring Frank Lovejoy. Nightbeat. This is Randy Stone. I cover the night beat for the Chicago Star. Stories start in many different ways. But tonight's story began when one man tried to destroy another with the strangest weapon of all. Darkness. Night Beat, starring Frank Lovejoy as Randy Stone. When your job is to walk into the darkness and discover what makes a city tick, you pick up some mighty strange friends. The winos dreaming of a muscatel paradise in cold, dark doorways. The petty larceny boys with their fast deals. The painted little dames defying the world with their brassy laughter. The homeless, the hopeless. In the city, night is for the lost. And sometimes you feel a hunger to be with someone of the everyday world. Some nice, well-adjusted soul who's got a reason for waking up tomorrow morning. I guess that's why I dropped in to see Bessie Chatfield tonight. Bessie's a little gray-haired librarian who has charge of a small storefront library on Huron Street. No one around this time of night but Bessie and a young fellow in a gray raincoat alone at a reading table. Mr. Stone. Well, we haven't seen you, oh, in such a long time. <laughs> well, since Forever Amber, you haven't had the kind of high-type literature that interests me. <laughs> and when you finally do drop in, look what time you get here. Ten o'clock. Right when I have to go over and start turning out the lights. I, uh, I timed it that way so I could get you behind those bookcases, uh, away from that fellow with the reading desk. Well, I'm afraid your timing is about 35 years off, Mr. Stone. <laughs> Oh, these light switches. Why do they always put them up so high? Aren't you going to tell that fellow it's time to go home? This is the way we tell them. We flick off the lights and then flick them on again. First off, like this. No! Don't do that! No! What? Turn the lights on quick. Let me handle him. What's the idea of doing that, mister? That's supposed to be smarter, so... Oh, take it easy, fella. Take it easy. Or did he pay you to do it? Is that the deal? Huh? You tell George Brewster that the game doesn't amuse me anymore. You tell him if he keeps that up, I'll... 
I'll kill him. Oh, wait. I turned the lights out. It's closing time. What? Closing time? Oh. Yes, of course. What's wrong with you, buddy? You sick or something? Sick. Sick, yes. That's me, sick. Only mine's a childhood disease. Childhood. Childhood. Now, what in the world was that? I don't know. Ever seen him before? He's come in a couple of times this week. Spent all his time reading some reference books at the table. Seemed to be such a nice, polite young man. Considerate, kindly. Let's take a look at those books. Oh, my heavens, my, my heart is beating a mile a minute. And did you see his face? It frightened me. He was even more scared than we were. Of what? These are books he was reading? Yes, the Mind in Limbo, Abnormal Psychology, Modern Psychiatry. Why would he want books like this? Maybe he was looking for somebody in these books. Who? Himself, Bessie. Probably himself. <laughs> Bessie was pretty upset, so after she locked up for the night, I started walking her toward the elevated station over on Lake Street. We'd walked a couple of blocks through the dark, empty streets when suddenly Bessie grabbed my arm. Mr. Stone, that man down the street, looking in that store window, mm. that's him. Ah, yes, same gray raincoat, same lad. And look, Mr. Stone, what's that in his hand? That's a piece of pipe or something. He's breaking that store window. Yeah, you wait right here, honey. Be careful, Mr. Stone, be careful. The fellow was reaching through the broken window glass for whatever it was that had struck his fancy. He heard me coming and turned toward me. The wan streetlight did something to his face. It seemed twisted and torn. Blood was running down his hand where the glass had cut it. Then I saw what he'd taken from the window. A gun. That's the idea, pal. He spun around and started running to the elevated station down the block. And in the best tradition of the Rover boys, I stayed right on his tail. He turned back to see how I was doing. He stumbled over a trash can near the curb. I caught up with him, grabbing his arm. Go on, me. Leave me alone. Uh-uh. Let go of me. <laughs> he slashed the gun across my face and began running again. I stopped long enough to take a quick inventory of my teeth. Up above, I heard the elevator train coming into the station. The young fellow had reached the station steps and was going up fast, trying to make that train. I reached for one of his legs. He turned and gave it to me right in the stomach. I folded up and I just sat there. I listened to the train pull away with the fellow on it and remembered what Bessie had said about him being such a nice, polite young man. After a while, I began to feel somewhat human again. I notified the police what had happened and they set a squad car out. After they left, I remembered something, a name this nice, polite young man had been throwing around, George Brewster. I found a phone book in a cigar store. There were three George Brewsters. The first number didn't answer. I tried the second. Hello? I'd like to speak to George Brewster. Oh, he's not in right now. Is there any message? Uh, who is this? I'm his sister. Is anything wrong? Well, if this is the right George Brewster, something is wrong. Is there any reason why a young fellow should want to kill your brother? Oh. Oh, that would be Morrison. Oh, I warned you. Morrison, huh? Tom Morrison. Where does he live? Our old apartment, 612 Hamlin Avenue. What makes you think he wants to kill George? Well, this uh, character broke into a store tonight and stole a gun. I sort of think he had your brother in mind when he did it. Oh, no. 
am I going to do? Well, lady, I know what I'm going to do. As fast as I hang up and get another nickel into this phone, I'm going to call the police. Oh, I feel so bad. It's not really Morrison's fault, poor man. Oh, no, no. He's, uh, he's just a prince of a fellow. Uh, goodbye, lady. I've got to make a call. But then it turned out that I didn't have a nickel. And on the way to the counter for change, I started wondering why the sister of the man he was going to kill felt sorry for Morrison. And why Bessie thought he was such a sweet character. And, well, the night was young and 612 Hamlin Avenue couldn't wait. And I could call the cops later. Six twelve North Hamlin was a second floor flat on the north side. I got there a few minutes after eleven that night. All the windows were lit up. I rang the bell and I waited. I felt a little bead of sweat zigzagging down my face like it didn't have any place to go. Yes. Oh, it's you. No, no, let's not close the door just yet. In fact, let's push it open all the way. What do you want? My two front teeth and a few ribs. Get out of here. Now look, pal, don't tempt me. I came against my better judgment to listen to what you've got to say. If I leave now, the only place I'm going is the nearest police station. Police station? I guess maybe that would be the best. What? Otherwise, I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, I guess you better call the police, mister. What do you think you're doing, calling my bluff? The phone's right behind you. Okay, buddy, you asked for it. Sure this is the way you want it? It's better this way. I'm at the end of my rope. I don't want to kill him. George Brewster? Yes, George Brewster. I know how it'll end if he doesn't stop. Stop what? Call the police, mister. You'd be doing me a favor. Since when have I got to do you favors? Well, why aren't you calling? I'm an Eagle Scout in good standing. I haven't done my good deed for today. You can't help me, mister. Stone is the name. What makes you so sure I can? Thanks for even wanting to. After that bad time I gave you. Bad time? That's the understatement of a year. Well, I was panic-stricken. It got me half crazy. Well, what have you got to lose if you tell me about it? No. Okay. Wait, wait. I don't know. I... I'm like a drowning man grasping at straws. Look, maybe if you talked to Brewster, told him what he's doing to me, maybe, maybe he'd leave me alone. <laughs> well, you never can tell. But I'd have to know what I'm talking about. It's quite a story, mister. These lights. Look at them. Bright as the sun, aren't they? Lamps. Overhead chandeliers. Look at them. I'd hate to see your light bills. Like some men need drugs. That's how I need these lights. Come again? My sanity depends on it. My very sanity. And these lights? It's a sickness. You've even got a name for it. Noctophobia, it's called. Fear of darkness. Fear of darkness? That's for kids. I... Uh, no, I, I uh, take that back. I'm sorry. Don't be. I quite agree. Kids are neurotic women. But in a man of my age, it's, it's quite ridiculous. Only when the day starts drawing to a close, when the night starts crowding in. Have you been to a doctor? Sure, I've been to doctors. They tell me I shouldn't feel too badly. Plenty of people with my trouble. A hangover from childhood. An illness. Like heart trouble is an illness. I'll take the heart trouble. Maybe you haven't gone to the right kind of a doctor. Maybe psychiatry could help you. Nothing's going to help me. George Brewster's going to see to that. What about this, uh, Brewster? He's trying to destroy me. With the strangest weapon of all. 
The strangest weapon of all. Yes. His weapon is the night. You are listening to Nightbeat, starring Frank Lovejoy. In a moment, we'll return to Nightbeat and Randy Stone. But first, we'd like to call your attention to another great NBC mystery adventure program. Every Sunday, you'll want to hear the exciting new Christopher London series with screen actor Glenn Ford in the title role. Stories for Christopher London are furnished by Earl Stanley Gardner, one of the most famous mystery story writers in America. There is no doubt about the greatness of Gardner's stories, and with the superb acting of Glenn Ford, Christopher London should be must-listening for every mystery fan. Make a listening date now to hear the exciting adventures of Christopher London every Sunday over most of these same NBC stations. And now, back to Frank Lovejoy as Randy Stone in Nightbeat. It was a weird feeling standing in Morrison's brilliantly lighted parlor listening to him tell me about his terror of darkness. A sturdy, healthy-looking man trapped by a childhood nightmare. I felt guilt listening to him like I was eavesdropping into a dark corner of his mind that was nobody's business but his own. And yet he had to tell me because he needed help. Because George Brewster was using Morrison's fear to destroy him. I was sent to Chicago by our company to replace Brewster Stone. Until he found out why I was here, he couldn't do enough for me. He even got me this apartment. Greater love hath no man. Then he found out what the setup was. He changed fast enough. How did he find out about this uh, fear of yours? Well, I'm telling you how. The other night, the two of us were working alone in the big vault down at the office, working on some old account or other. The overhead light, it blew out. Uh-huh. Well, it was so sudden, I, I couldn't help myself. I tried to keep calm, but... Well, it's like something tearing me to pieces inside. I, I couldn't breathe. I couldn't... Finally, I had to run. So he found out no, about... No, no, no. He wasn't sure, but... It started him thinking. Yes, I see. Next afternoon, he came over to my desk. He was jovial, friendly, like he'd been in the beginning. Saying we'd been at each other's throats long enough. Inviting me to have dinner with him that night. Right from work, we went to his favorite spot on the north side, a place called the Catacombs. I began feeling uneasy the moment I entered. How do you like this place, Tom? That's okay, it's fine. Uh, it's been a favorite of mine for years. One spot in particular, <laughs> the wine cellar. How do you feel about wine? Oh, I like it all right. Come along with me. I'm a wine man from way back. Uh, say, George, I wanted to talk to you about that little outburst last night. They have a different wine cellar here with a different temperature for each type of wine. I haven't been sleeping well, you see. Me, I prefer Riesling myself. Well, here we are. Huh? The white wine cellar. We'll select our own brand for our supper. Here, I'll open the door. Yeah, this is a privilege only an old customer like me can get away with. Come on dark down there. That's why they've got this candle here on the ledge. Got a match? Why, well, uh... A match, Tom. Mm. Yeah. Here. Okay. 
I'll get this candle going. Good. Now, let's go downstairs. Uh, George, uh, you think we should do this on our own? Done it hundreds of times. Been coming here for the last ten years. Well, now, let's go down these stairs. Then. Careful. Yeah. George, I was explaining about last night. Candle casts uh, funny shadows, doesn't it? You notice how cool it is? Twenty feet below street level. Here. Look, I want to talk about last night. I, I don't want any misunderstanding. Huh? It's just that I've been working pretty hard. Look, Tom. Would it make you feel better if you showed me you're not afraid of the dark? Okay, you can show me. I'll blow out the candle. What are you trying to prove, Brewster? Nothing at all. That's your idea. Where are those matches I gave you? You gave me some matches? Well, I must have lost them. It's not going to work, Brewster. I'm not insane, you know. I can stay down here until you're quite satisfied. Funny, isn't it, about the darkness? The way it seems to close in on you. The way you start thinking you can't breathe. I know, I, I can see how someone could... What's the matter, Tom? This is ridiculous. Something so suffocating about a dark room. Stop it. Stop it. Only the heavy, smothering blackness. Stop it. Where are you going, Tom? Anything wrong? <laughs> Anything wrong? Anything wrong? I ran out of that cellar like a kid. Like a kid scared to death, Stone. That was a rotten thing for him to do. Well, he's fighting for his job, Stone. He's... Not too young anymore. He can't start all over again, so we'll do anything. Oh, great. I'm sure he's told the people down at work. I'm sure they're all laughing at me behind my back. You don't know what that does to me. I can imagine. Today I found a new desk lamp on my desk, courtesy of George Brewster. Every day, something like that. Did you ask him why he's doing it? He won't admit he's doing anything. He says it's all my imagination. Maybe I ought to see a doctor. Or better still, maybe a change of climate would help. Well, I'd leave town in a minute. Only my future's at stake, too. Before I let him drive me crazy, I'll kill him. Well, I'm going now. I'm going to talk to this bird. Where does he live? Out in the suburbs, Lake Forest. He lives with his sister. All right, I'll give you a ring as soon as I've seen him. Mr. Stone, I... Hope you can do some good. Yeah. Oh. Say, I almost forgot something. What? Uh, that gun you made off with. Well, I... Maybe if we're lucky, we can talk the store owner out of pressing charges. I'll try it. That was a crazy thing to do. I was so desperate. Wouldn't have done you much good when they put them in the window. They never loaded. I'll let you in on a secret. If I hadn't known that, I wouldn't have been such a hero coming here tonight. I'll let you in on a secret, Mr. Stone. You can get bullets without a license. The gun's loaded now. Oh, oh great. All right, go, go and get it for me. All right. Yes, I want to give it to you. It's in my bedroom. He started for the bedroom. And then it was almost like a comedy routine where, after the big build-up, the punchline comes right out on cue. The moment he entered the other room, every light in the house suddenly went out. What happened to the lights? Take it easy. Where's the fuse box? I don't know. Never had any occasion to use it. Besides, if it was a fuse, all the lights wouldn't go out. It wasn't you. Use your head. How could I do it? I'm getting out of here. All lights out, too. Stone. Well, I... maybe something went wrong with the central wire. But why should it happen exactly now? 
Wait, huh? The downstairs apartment. Their lights are on. If it was the wire, all right, I... All right, let's ask them where the fuse box is. Yes? Oh, Mr. Morris. Uh, my lights went out. It, it might be a fuse. Where are the fuse boxes for these apartments? Out in the back. I'll get a flashlight and show you. Here we are. The fuse box is right here below our meters. Whenever the people from the light company come out, they have a dickens of a time finding it. Can you hold the flashlight steady and let me take a look? Wait a minute, Stone. Lower the flashlight just a little. Huh? It's not the fuse. Look at the master switch on my meter. Look at the one of Mrs. Graham's. Why, somebody pulled your switch down to off. Yes. Yes, someone surely did. Well, here, let me push it up. There. And look upstairs. All your lights are on again. That's probably some kids playing a joke. Now, how do you suppose the rascals ever found it? It's so well hidden. I, uh, I've got a theory that all kids come equipped with a special radar of finding things like this. Mrs. Graham. Tell this gentleman who used to live in my apartment before I did. Why? Tell him. Why, you know. He even got the apartment for you. Your friend, Mr. Brewster. But what is that? Tom, that doesn't prove he did it. For me, it does, Stone. For me, it does. Morrison went around to the front of his house and up the stairs to his flat. I waited in the hallway until he came down again. He looked different. His face was hard and set. His eyes were like chunks of glass punched into the flesh. What are you waiting for, Stone? When we were so rudely interrupted, you were going for the gun. I've got it now. Oh, yes. Uh, hand it over. I'll bring it back. No, thanks. Well, where are you going and what are you going to do? I'm fighting for my sanity, my life. He's never going to do this to me again. Never. I can't let you do that. You're not going to have to. The minute you leave, I'm going to call every cop in the book. Yes, that's what you do, isn't it? Yes. Then I'd better give you the gun. <laughs> this could become habit forming. I dropped to my knees in the hallway, and then the hallway subdivided like something under a microscope, and there were two hallways, and then there were four. And then everywhere I looked, there were hallways. Morrison tried to push me aside and get by me, only it was a whole circle of Morrison's. I grabbed at his legs to hold him back and it was like grabbing at a centipede. Then all the Morrison's in all the hallways brought all their guns down on my one poor head. And that was it, brothers and sisters, that was it. Feeling better, Mr. Stone? Oh, if I felt any better, I'd call an embalmer. Oh, what a business. I heard a commotion and I came out and you were lying here. Oh, is this my head or is it a cantaloupe? Oh, how did it happen and where's Mr. Morrison? Oh, Morrison, Morrison, yes. How long ago did you hear this commotion? Oh, just a couple of minutes ago. You came out of it real fast. Yeah, I've got an iron constitution. Have you got a, got a phone? Well, yes, but don't you think you Come better... on, lady, grab my head, put it back on nice and neat and let's get to that phone. <laughs> Hello, this is the fellow who called you before, Miss Brewster, about Morrison and your brother. Oh, yes. He's not there yet, huh? No, my brother is... I don't mean your brother, I mean Morrison. What? No, is, is he... Oh, yes, he sure is. Now, give me your address, and the minute you hang up, get away from your house as fast as you can. 
Morrison's got a gun and he's half crazy. Maybe we should call the police. Well, maybe we should, but I'm not going to. They'd throw the book at him ten years for attempted murder. I think I can stop him before he does anything. Oh, I can't tell you how sorry I am about this. Lady, you and your brother should be. The cab got me out to their Lake Forest house in less than 20 minutes. The house was on a hill, and a flagstone path wound round and round for a city block until it reached the front porch. As I ran up the walk, my head started rattling like a handful of pennies in a tin cup. I felt weak and tired. All the time, I tried not to think about what I'd find when I reached the house. Now I was at the end of the path, walking toward the front porch. A nerve deep in my throat started jangling like a burglar alarm. The house was in darkness. Morrison was standing beneath a little porch light. His gun pointed right at me. You won't quit, will you, Stone? What have you done with him, Tom? He hasn't done anything with him yet, Mr. Stone. Huh? Who is... I'm sitting over here at the end of the porch. I'm George's sister. Oh. I didn't see you in the dark. Why didn't you get away like I told you? you I won't hurt her. It's him. He'll be coming along soon. George would never have done what he did. I begged him not to. To take advantage of a man's weakness. Well, Mr. Brewster is coming home. What? His car is stopping at the bottom of the hill. Now he's starting the long climb. Morrison, listen to me. You just sit there, the both of you. And I must insist that you be very quiet. Please, listen to me. Please. Please. Keep coming up that path, Brewster. It's a long, long way. You must listen to me. Morrison. You don't know what you're Waiting doing. near the porch light, the gun George in his hand. George hurt you. He shouldn't have done that. Far below the small what figure of George here? Brewster so making a long, slow you climb. realize that you're going to kill George because he found out about your fear. But don't you see? George is afraid, too. Of bigger things. Of being 53 and seeing his whole life going to... Brewster had stopped at the first landing to That's catch his breath. And now he was climbing up the path again. He was fighting. Maybe a hundred steps from his death. I found myself counting the steps. Why are you afraid? Closer. Don't you see? If you weren't afraid, George couldn't hurt you anymore. Please, listen to me. Keep your voice down. If you try to warn him, you both die too. Keep coming, Brewster. Yes, he kept coming. No more than 70 steps now. What is there to fear about the dog? The girl's voice going on and on. Nothing. Brewster getting closer. All it does is hide the world. Less than 50 steps now. 40 steps. 30 steps. If you believe in God, if you believe in your own soul, how can you fear the night? What is there in the darkness that can hurt you? There's such peace in the darkness. After the heat of day is gone, rush, the tumult, the struggle, you can breathe easy again. You can let the tightness inside unwind. He's almost closer. Listen to me. Please listen. It's not going to work, Miss Brewster. I'm going to try and run. Wait. Miss Brewster. Stay where you are, Miss Brewster. No. You must see me in the light. I tell you, stay with Tom. Look at her. I, I didn't realize. I'm not afraid. What right have you to fear? Julie, is that you on the porch? What right have you to fear, Mr. Morrison? 
What right? Oh, what a long climb. Must be getting old. Well, what are you doing here, Morrison? And who's this? Oh, don't uh, mind me. I just came along for the ride. What's this all about? I... I just came to... to say goodbye, Brewster. You're leaving? Yes. I'm going back and tell them you've... you've done a good job here. It's not fair to replace you after so many years. You sure nobody scared you away, Morrison? Look at him, Brewster. Does he look like he's afraid? I don't know if Julie cured Morrison of his fear of darkness. Cure is a pretty strong word. But maybe she helped. I kind of think so. I do know this... It's going to be mighty hard for Tom to fear the darkness, knowing Julie is not afraid. But neither Tom nor I will ever forget what we saw as the porch light lit up her face. Julie Brewster, who did not fear the darkness, was blind. part of the story they always print in heavy type, the moral. And don't smile so indulgently. Morals are very nice things. Some of my best friends have morals. <laughs> you know, seriously, Julie's whole life is a moral in itself. And trying to top it is like trying to follow Al Jolson with a mammy song. The best you can do is tip your hat to the fellow who wrote... Out of the night that covers me, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. He must have had someone like Julie in mind. Well, four o'clock in the morning, a stale cup of coffee, a tired sandwich, and a story to dictate, and I worry about my unconquerable soul. Ah, me. Give me a rewrite. Nightbeat, a new dramatic series, stars Frank Lovejoy as Randy Stone. Nightbeat is written by Larry Marcus and directed by Warren Lewis. Music by Frank Worth. Listen next week at this same time and every week as Randy Stone searches through the city for the strange stories waiting for him in the darkness. The stories that come out of the shadows to find their way into Nightbeat. Stay tuned for Fibber McGee and Molly next on Theater of the Mind. Time now to go way back to 1939 for this episode of Fibber McGee and Molly when we hear about Fibber inheriting a yacht. The Wax Program. The makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat present Fibber McGee and Company with Jim Jordan as Fibber, Donald Nobis, the Four Notes, and Billy Mills Orchestra. The show opens with Liza. Here's an announcement of real importance to every housewife. 
Perhaps you are one of the many thousands who have resolved to start using Johnson's self-polishing glow coat or Johnson's wax on your floors this year at house cleaning time. Well, now, if that's the case, let me urge you to go right out tomorrow and see your dealer. For he is featuring special giant-sized cans of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat at the same price you usually pay for only one pound or one pint. And yet, you get a pound and a third, or a pint and a third. Now, these giant-sized cans are selling fast, so don't delay. When your dealer's special spring shipments are gone, there won't be any more. So avoid disappointment by going to the store first thing tomorrow morning and buying both Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat in the special money-saving giant size camp. fever of expectation today, an attorney is telephoned for an appointment to discuss the will of Fibber's late uncle, Captain Ticonderoga McGee. And here at 79 Wistful Vista, awaiting the lawyer's arrival, we find Fibber, where there's a will, there's impatience, McGee! Ah, good old Uncle Tyke. I always was his favorite nephew. In spite of the time I tied the snake's head onto the garden hose and coiled it up on his bed. Aha, at last. Folks, I hope you'll always remember this moment as the last time you've seen me when I was just a poor boy. Goodbye, poverty. Come in, fortune. Mr. Uh, McGee? You betcha, bud. Are you the shyster, or the... the... <laughs> Are you the attorney that called me about Uncle Tyke's will? Yes, I am. I'm Mr. Ogden Fiditch of Fiditch, 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 Fiditch. Shut Fiditch. it off, bud. The needle is jumping a groove. <laughs> have a cigar, Mr. Fiditch? Uh, thank you. I have one. Oh, you got two? <laughs> Thanks. Now, let's get down to cases, bud. What did the old skinflint, or... Uh, what did dear old Uncle Tyke leave me? Well, aren't you a little impatient, McGee? Aren't you interested in the other uh, beneficiaries of the last will and testament of Captain Ticonderoga, McGee? Oh, shuck, sure I am, bud. <laughs> What'd my aunt get? Aunt Lulu, McGee. Uh, let me refer to my notes here. Ah, yes, Lulu, McGee. Lulu, that's on. Lulu inherited a braided horsehair watch fob, oh. a wood-burning outfit, a hand-painted hair receiver... And a shaving mug. Oh. <laughs> yeah, the mug had an inscription on it in gold leaf. That's all. Quote, you can do a lot more kissing if you strop and look and listen, unquote. <laughs> uh, that was Uncle Tyke, all right. <laughs> a flirt to the last. <laughs> they say he almost put his nurse's eye out trying to kiss her with a thermometer in his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a very interesting character. Oh, yeah. yes, indeed. Now, would it be indelicate, bud, if I was to inquire how much moss the old Rolling Stone gathered for me? Ah, yes. You, I believe, were the old gentleman's favorite nephew. What'd I tell you, folks? And in consideration of this fact, the will states, quote, And to my nephew Fibber, 
more familiarly known to his childhood playmates as Stinky, (laughs) secure in the knowledge that he will bend every effort toward its upkeep and maintenance, for which funds are herewith provided, I bequeath my most cherished possession, my faithful ally in my travels about the world, my boat, the Billy Bee, unquote. Hot dog. A yacht. Oh, boy. A yacht and enough dough to keep it up. Wowie. It'll be turned over to you as soon as it's released by the executor. Boy. Congratulations and uh, good luck. Well, thanks, bud. Ah, now for a life on the bouncing main. Now I can go to Australia and China and Siam. Whoopee! Sailing, sailing over the bounding main. For many a storm, you wish a blower jank comes over. Hello there, Johnny. What you jumping around for? Spring fever or winter underwear? <laughs> Neither one, old-timer. I was just dancing the sailor's hornpipe. I'm a yachtsman. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> I say I'm off for a world cruise. I'd sign you on as a member of the, member of the crew, old-timer, but you ain't got enough of the old pepper to be a good salt. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good, Johnny. But that ain't the way I heard it. The way I heard it, one feller says to the other feller, See, he says. I see where some scientist has discovered a use for snake poison to relieve pain. Kind of evens things up, don't it? What you mean, asks t'other feller. Well, says the first feller, we used to use the painkiller to get the snakes, and now we use the snakes to get the painkiller. <laughs> so you got to take a boat trip, eh, Johnny? Yep. Well, if you see a big white bird sitting on a channel marker, it's the old, old story. Boy meets gull. <laughs> Boy meets gull. He's got young ideas, all right, but his heartbeat longs to daughter. (laughs) Well, now, let's see. I better call up and order a yachting cap, a blue coat with brass buttons and some navigation charts. Where's that telephone? Hello, operator. I want to talk to... Oh, is that you, Mert? (laughs) Hi, Mert. This is Trevor McGee. What's say? Oh, you heard about me inheriting the yacht, did you? What's say, Mert? Your brother... What makes you think he'd be a good member of my crew? He has, eh? Seven whaling expeditions, eh? Where to, Mert? Oh, out to the woodshed. <laughs> Say, give me the seagoing supply store, will you, Mert? Thanks. Oh, 1492 Columbus. Hello? Meyer Seven Seas Supply Store? Fibber McGee, the Society Yachtsman speaking. Yeah. Say, I'll be down there in a little while to lay in supplies for a two-year cruise. Huh? Yeah, that's right. And listen, put in a few barrels of good red wine. My crew will probably want some port in every sweetheart. (laughs) You ain't got any red wine? What color have you got? Deep purple. Oh, well, give me a barrel of deep purple. No, never mind. We'll get that from Don Novus. Okay, Semplemeyer. Let's have it, Don. Deep purple.
Beautiful song, beautifully sung. Thanks, Fibber. And incidentally, I want to congratulate you on your inheritance. Oh, thanks, Don. I, well, I, I don't want to take too much credit for it. <laughs> Any good, clean-living, red-blooded American boy could have done the same. <laughs> All he has to have is, is willpower. <laughs> An uncle who was too tight to spend a dime. <laughs> yeah, but about this world cruise of yours... You know anything about ocean navigation? Well, I certainly do. Well, I ought to. My great-great-grandmother on my father's side was a mermaid. <laughs> a mermaid? Sure. It was a little embarrassing for Grandpa at parties, too. <laughs> Till the hoop skirt came in. I'll never forget how she used to hold me on her lap when I was just a little baby and fan me with a fin. <laughs> how she used to coax me to eat my dinner. Come on, Fibber, dear, she'd say. Eat your nice seaweed. <laughs> oh, that's very interesting. Yes, well, oh, I can shut my eyes now and see the dear old lady floundering up the garden wall. <laughs> <laughs> what did she die of, Fibber? Barnacles? <laughs> no, it was kind of tragic about that there, Don. Us McGee's don't like to speak of that much. You see, Grandpa got hold of a copy of the Fish and Game Laws for 1852 and discovered that Grandma was too small. So he threw her back in the ocean. <laughs> uh, it's too bad she wasn't still holding you on her lap. <laughs> well, so long, Pepper. Bon voyage. Yeah. Well, better run down to Simple Myers and buy my yachting outfit. Mood Music Mills in C. <laughs> Boy, look at all them things in the window. Ropes, anchors, 
seasick remedies? Uh, pardon me, Captain, but could you spare a half a dollar for a poor old crippled-up sailor man? Why, certainly, shipmate. Here you are. How'd you get hurt? In a shipwreck? No, laddie. I was the unfortunate victim of a nautical hotfoot, you might say. <laughs> a nautical hotfoot? Aye. I was the boy who stood on the burning deck. Thank you. <laughs> I better get inside before they take up a collection for the guys who got wrecked on the Hespress. <laughs> How do you do, sir? What can we do for you? We have a special sale today on silent foghorns for clear weather. Oh. <laughs> so, you got any cork anchors for people who just want to drift? Not today, sir, but uh, would you care to see our feather-tipped harpoons for ticklish whale? <laughs> now you're joshing me. <laughs> I'm Fibber McGee, bud, the Society Yachtsman. Oh! Yes, Mr. Wilcox was telling us about you. There he is now, over in the water wing department. The water wing department? What? Hey, Harple, what you doing? Oh, hello there, Fibber. Say, what's all this about you taking a yacht on a world cruise? That's right, Harple. You want to go along? Well, I don't know, Fibber. He'd I... be a good man for you, Mr. McGee. Show him your life-saving medal, Mr. Wilcox. Oh, no. Oh, gee whiz. It's, it's nothing. Oh, gee. <laughs> oh, come on, Harpo. Don't be coy. Quit blushing and let's see the medal. Oh, oh, well, all right. Here. Oh, gee, this is great, Harpo. What'd you get this for? Well, I... Oh, fudge. <laughs> well, I, I just happened to be there at the time, was all. Gee, all I did was see this woman's hand in the water. So I threw off my coat and dived in, that's all, just as she was going down for the third time. And you never said a word about this to us? A heroic deed like that there... Say, if you're such a hot swimmer, what was you doing here in the water wing department? Buying some water wings. I can't swim. You can't swim? Hey, now let me get this straight. If you can't swim, how did you save that woman? I got a feeling I shouldn't have asked, folks. <laughs> well, you see, it was a hot day last July. Yes, yes. What happened? I was passing a big house on Oak Street, and I heard a woman groan. I looked in the window and saw her hand in the water, a bucket of dirty, soapy water. Just as she was going down for the third time, on her knees with a scrub brush. <laughs> so quick as a flash, I threw off my coat, dived in the window with a can of Johnson's glow coat, and showed her how unnecessary old-fashioned floor scrubbing was. <laughs> Boy, was she grateful. She said I'd saved her life. She gave me a bronze medal. Bronze medal? But this is a gold one. Oh, I know. She took the bronze one back and gave me a gold one when I tipped her off to how much she could save by buying glow coat in a special giant-sized can <laughs> containing an extra third for the same price before they were all gone. <laughs> uh, say, Joe. Yes, Mr. Wilcox? Uh, show me some of those water wings with the little propellers on them. One of these days, I'm going to get up enough nerve to wade right out in the children's end of the pool and I... <laughs> <laughs> Harpo the hero, the linoleum lifeguard. <laughs> that ain't the dilliest thing. Well, how do you do, Mr. McGee? Oh, man, how nice to see you, really. Oh, hi, Uppy. What you doing here? Oh, 
I'm buying a little birthday present for my brother. Oh. I'm going to send him a box of catnip. Catnip? Yes. Mm -hmm. You see, my brother is just wild about sailing, well. and he has the dearest little cat bowl. <laughs> catnip for the cat bowl. Mm -hmm. It's a good thing he ain't got a tramp steamer. You'd be sending him a can of mulligan. <laughs> mulligan? Yeah, mulligan. Kind of an outdoor stew. Oh, Oh, then you know my brother. <laughs> By the way, Mrs. Uppington, my uncle just left me a beautiful mahogany 500-foot diesel engine boat in his will. Oh, really? Yeah. How'd you like to go along on a world cruise with me and a few friends? Oh, how delightful. I should love it, Miss McGee. I simply adore ocean travel. Oh. The last time I crossed on the Ile de France, I had a marvelous time. Oh, that's all. And the cuisine. Oh, simply heavenly. Oh, it was, eh? How's the grub? <laughs> oh, and uh, speaking of ocean voyages, Mr. McGree, yeah. Horatio and I were discussing plans for our honeymoon last night, and you know... Honeymoon? Yes, isn't it thrilling? Oh, Mr. McGee, I am to be a June bride. Oh, touch, touch. <laughs> oh, me, I'm such a happy girl. <laughs> Slap happy. <laughs> Horatio, oh, the dear boy is simply walking on air. <laughs> <laughs> I always predicted he would, eventually. <laughs> you know what I mean. So you and Boomer are engaged. Well, I hope you'll be very happy, happy. <laughs> happy, happy. <laughs> well, thank you, my dear. I'm sure we will. <laughs> but you know, Mr. McGee, I wanted Horatio to put a ladder up against my window and carry me away in his arms like a knight of old. And he said the most amusing thing. <laughs> he said it reminded him of a movie he saw. What movie, Uppy? Night Must Fall. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, it's so nice to have seen you again, Mr. McGee. Goodbye. 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 Dear, dear. Carry her off like a knight of old. Some knight, the gutter pup Galahad. Oh, well, who am I to poison Cupid's arrows? Oh, hi, Billy, old shipmate. Haul alongside and drop anchor. Oh, stow the gab, Bill's rat. <laughs> Bill's rat? Why, William, is that any way to talk to a yachtsman? Let me hear any more mutiny like that, my bucko, and I'll clap you in irons for the rest of the voyage. Listen, put your face in dry dock a minute. I want to ask you something. Why not, Billy? Just because I'm rich don't mean I'm too high-hat to talk to them in the lower walks of life. What is it, William? Would you care to squat on your quarterdeck a minute and listen to the four-note sing Umbrella Man? <laughs> so I certainly. Tell them to sing while I run home and study my navigation charts. Pipe the gangway, shipmates. Umbrella Man coming aboard. <laughs> Too late. Any umbrellas to fix today? 
when there's a lull, things are dull. He sharpens knives for the wives in the neighborhood. And he is very good. He'll darn a sock, set a clock, an apple cart, a broken heart. He mends anything, but he'd rather sing. of the South Seas. I could lay a course for the Tuamato Archipel... Archipel... Shucks, why should I go to places I can't even pronounce? <laughs> Aha! The Gilbert Islands. That ought to be simpler. Let's see now. There's the islands of Pokaku, Jilly Malahar, Bikinia, Ragnika... Say, what is this? Dead Reddit foreigners are moving in everywhere. <laughs> Shucks, come in. Oh, hi, Boomer. Good day, McGee, my very dear friend and boon companion. Want to congratulate you on your great good fortune. Since when was I a boon companion of yours, Boomer? And what's this business about you and Mrs. Uppington getting married? What? Has the old crow, er, uh, ha- <laughs> has uh, some little bird been whispering in your ear, dear boy? But then, uh, why dissimulate? Tis indeed true we have implanted our troth. You've plighted your what? We've plighted our troth. We've had avowed our mutual and enduring love. We've, well, in short, scatterbrain, I've walked the plank. <laughs> You've walked the plank, you, you fortune hunter. Yea, verily. Behold the hunter, home from the hills. <laughs> but what I wish to consult you about, my scholarly young compatriot, was in the matter of taking our honeymoon on your private yacht, which, according to Dame Rumor, is quite a hunk of a tub. What say, Commodore? I'm a licensed navigator. You're a licensed navigator. You wouldn't know port from starboard. You wrong me, my salty young seafarer. Pour me a glass of each, and I'll be only too glad to demonstrate. <laughs> That's what I thought. You couldn't steer a spoon through a cup of coffee. Let's see your license papers if you're a real navigator. Why, certainly, certainly. Very happy to. Let me see now. Where I put those navigation papers? <laughs> have them here somewhere. Here's a lump of sugar for a policeman's horse. Always hope he'll get a toothache and kick the car. <laughs> Combination to a bank vault in Sioux City. Pretty little community. Attended a grand opening there last week. Would have been a five grand opening, but somebody tipped him off, Bradley. <laughs> Memorandum about a hotel bill in Boston signed the Richard House. Don't remember ever stopping at the Richard house. Must mean house dig. <laughs> yes, a postcard from South America from an old jailmate. Good old Spike. He went paroling down to Rio. <laughs> Tube of mustache wax helps me keep a stiff upper lip. And a short beard. 
Well, 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 imagine that. No navigation paper. <laughs> well, now that you got that settled, four-flusher, go do your gold brick land somewhere else. I'm busy. Don't ruffle me. I was going anyway. Have to take my brother to a tree surgeon this afternoon. Very unusual case. Wooden leg with varicose veins. <laughs> well, good day, poop deck. <laughs> Take a look at them charts again. Hmm. Australia, New Zealand, Society Islands. Aha, the Society Islands. That's the place for me. Top hats, white ties, and grass skirts. Dad Raddit, come in. Mr. McGee, my dear sir, I'm certainly glad to find you in. Remember me? Mr. Fiditch of Fiditch, 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 Fiditch. Hold it, bud. <laughs> certainly I remember you. And for handling this legacy for me, I'm your friend to the last Fiditch. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> you know what I plan to do, bud? Stock up my yacht for a long cruise. Oh, please, please, will you listen to me for a moment? This is important. Maybe stop off at... Huh? What's the matter? Don't tell me something's happened to my yacht. No, no, not that. Nothing has happened oh, to Oh, boy, that's a relief. <laughs> you had me scared there for a minute, bud. Though I'm too much of a sailor at heart to get panicky at trifles. In fact, there's always been sailor's blood in the McGee family, Fiditch. Yes, Mr. Why, McGee. when I was just a little snookums, I felt a strange longing in my soul, urging me toward the sea. Urging, urging, urging. Sea urchin McGee, I was known as in them days. <laughs> yes, See? but... I'm... Sea Urchin McGee, smartest skipper of the southern seaboard, shrewdly scanning the skies for a sight of a stormy signal to send my schooner scurrying for safety to shelter of the shipyard, scooting into the swishing spray to save sinking sailors from the sinister shark swishing silently through the salty surf of the seven seas, and the subject of sea-going sagas from sad Sardinia's sandy shore to the silken sails of Singapore. <laughs> Come, come, Mr. McGee. Let's have no more of this, uh, this nautical nonsense. What do you mean, nonsense, Fiditch? Just wait till you feel the old Billy B rolling along in the Gulf Stream. Why, you'll want to spend the rest of your life aboard my boat. But, my dear sir, this is all a horrible mistake. And I freely confess my mistake. Huh? What? Mistake? What you mean? I mean the Billy B. Huh? That was a typographical error in the will, McGee. What? You mean Uncle Tyke didn't leave me his boat? No, he left you his goat. <laughs> We want to thank our special guest, Billy B., for appearing on our show tonight. <laughs> Come over here, Billy, and take a bow. <laughs> I don't know what I ever done to Uncle Tyke that he should give you to me, but... Hey, wait a minute. Well, <laughs> I'll say this for the old boy. At least he didn't cut me off without a cent. <laughs> Good night, folks. Speaking for the makers of Johnson's Wax, 
and Johnson's self-polishing glow coat, Racine, Wisconsin, inviting you all to be with us again next Tuesday night. Good night. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Well, thank you for listening. I hope you'll be with me next week as I uncover more gems from the golden age of radio. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.